the demigods, Abhaya, with the glory of light, Yaha, Yaha, those who, Divyam, shiny, Amukataha, chiefly, Asrijat, created, Te, they, Aharshu, took possession of, Devayantaha, being active, Kishvishtam, separated, Tam, that, Prabham, effulgent form, Aha, daytime. Sounds like Aha. It's interesting. Translation and purport by His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Shri Prabhupada. He then created the chief demigods, who were shining with the glory of goodness. He dropped before them the effulgent form of daytime, and the demigods swordingly took possession of it. So please repeat, He then created the chief demigods, who were shining with the glory of goodness. He dropped before them, the effulgent form of daytime, and the demigods sportingly took possession of it. Purport by Sri Prabhupada. Demons were born from the creation of night, and the demigods were born from the creation of day. In other words, demons like the yakshas and rakshasas are born of the quality of ignorance, and demigods are born of the quality of goodness. Sri Prabhupada. Om Ajnanat Mirandasya Gyananjana Shalakaya Chakshu Unnilitam Yena Tasmai Sri Murabhima Vanchakapa Trubhyashtar Kripa Sindhu Vyeva Chapatitanam Bhavani Vyavaishna Devyo Namonama Namaste Jibanandaya Dasaya Ganachayine Prabhupada Vyashnita Shila Vinodine Ajnana Jantikamanam Bhashtate Patitapanam Jnana Vyutaya Chitaharine Chakshu Shenamaha Nama O Vishnu Bharai, Krishna Prishtaya Bhuttale, Srimati Bhakti Vedanta, Swami Neti Namine, Namaste Sarasvati Deve, Gauravani Pacharine, Nirvishesha Shunyavari Pashyatari Satarine, Jaya Sri Krishna Jaitanya, Prabhunitananda Sri Advaita Gradha, Sri Vasri Gauravata Vinda, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. He then created the chief demigods, who were shining with the glory of goodness. He dropped before them the effulgent form of daytime, and the demigods swordingly took possession of it. As Devata Prabhayayaya, Divyan Pramukato Shijat, Teyahar Shur Devayanto, Vishvishtam Tam Prabhamaha. The Lord Brahma here is created after the dissolution, and as we know, at the end of Brahma's Lifetime, all the souls go back into the body of the Lord. But they carry with them still their subtle body. And they are in a, um, a sleeping state. And then at the time of creation, all these souls um, come back into the world um, through the medium of the first created being, who is Lord Brahma, who is born directly from the Lord. And we can see here that all these living entities, they have different propensities and natures. And uh, the first ones are born of the night. 
And they have one chief characteristic of these living entities is they have no self-control. So immediately they're seeing their father as, as a meal. And, and this is, um, really this is indicative of animal life. And that's the difference, the, one of the main differences between human life and animal life is the ability to have self-control. To, to be able to go against the current of where normally, um, normally our nature would take us. And that, that's what the yoga practice um, is meant to do. It's meant to bring us out of this state of being controlled by our mind and senses. Rather, we take, we take control. We take, we take the driver's seat. And we control the vehicle of the body. Because there's always urges pushing, pushing us. And these natures are very powerful. Um, Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, we can't escape uh, the qualities that we receive born of the material nature. And, and everybody, everybody, including the demigods, are controlled by these modes of nature. Krishna says in the 18th chapter of Bhagavad Gita, everybody is controlled uh, by this nature. That's acquired. And so everything could be really sweet. Krishna, Krishna uh, creates the world in a perfect state. Uh, Satvagun uh, is completely prevalent. The reason why there's this factor of degradation is because the, the whole principle of coming to this world is, is a degraded act. Like the selfish motive to come to this world is degrading. Therefore, although Krishna gives us all the ingredients, the environment, everything to be happy, like he says in Bhagavad Gita. He says, I sent forth men and demigods and, and, and methods of yajna or sacrifice. He says, be happy with this yajna sacrifice. By performing such, you can live a happy life, and at the end you can come back to me. So, theoretically, God creates a perfect environment for us to behave in the right way, do the right thing, uh, initially, when we, when we come to this world, we have a, a body in the mode of goodness. We have an environment in the mode of goodness. But because that initial formula, Prabhupada talked about the initial formula, is based on a selfish act, then um, naturally the way that the material world goes is it, is it naturally flows towards degrada- degradation and the lower modes of nature. So here in this particular verse, um, goodness is compared to the daytime light of the daytime. But it also is binding like the rest. And, and uh, Prabhupada actually, when Krishna is referring to the modes of nature in the 14th chapter, Prabhupada is really uh, focusing, and we're going to read a little bit from this and see what we're speaking about. Prabhupada is really focusing on how goodness is also binding. But when we get to the 18th chapter of Bhagavad Gita, uh, Prabhupada is really talking about how goodness leads to transcendence. So we can see that there's these two important keys of understanding the mode of goodness. That in one sense it's very binding, but in another sense it's a platform to transcend. So it's very powerful. And in this connection, uh, there's a famous story of Srila Prabhupada where he's being interviewed by um, a lady journalist and he asked Srila Prabhupada, he says, why do you shake your head? 
And immediately Prabhupada says, why do you shave your legs? Prabhupada said, it takes a cool head and warm legs to understand spiritual life. So this cool head is the mode of goodness. The cool head to, um, to not be agitated by the lower modes where there's this constant urge to fulfill the demands of the senses. So that's why uh, in the Nectar of Instruction, uh, Rupa Goswami is emphasizing that these persons who are yogis, they learn to control these urges. And we can see when these urges are not controlled, they lead to destruction. Destruction of ourselves and destruction of the whole planet. And so we can give, take examples from Srila Rupa Goswami. So he's saying the actions of anger. And we can see that one act of anger can destroy our whole life. We can, we can be imprisoned for our whole life, right? For one moment where we didn't control our anger. We can be incarcerated for our whole life. This just takes a single moment. And then the demands of the mind. Constantly, there's a barrage of demands our mind is making of us. To, again, fulfill the desires born of our own nature in this world. And they urge to speak. We can see when, when speech is in check, it can create wars, right? Like one political leader says something to offend another political leader, and then they go and, and thousands of people, millions, hundreds, thousands of people are killed <laughs> because of this uncontrolled urge to speak. And he says, the urges of the tongue, the belly, and the genitals. So the tongue, uh, through the urge of the tongue, we, we can we can't stop um, again, speech that is hurtful, and on the other hand, um, the tongue and the belly, we can't stop taking foods that cause disease. So we can see people, they suffer, they have low energy levels, their bodies become diseased because of the inability to control the urge of the tongue and the belly. We can see the suffering that takes place from that. And then the urge of the genitals, we can see the diseases and that people are crippled for their whole life or they die young. And then there's um, so many abortions. We kill our own children because of the uncontrolled senses. So that's why the motive of goodness is so important. Now, it's extremely interesting how much importance Krishna gives the modes of nature in Bhagavad Gita. Because he goes through the core text of Bhagavad Gita, text 7 through 12. In, 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 I'm sorry, chapters 7 through 12. In chapters 1 through 6, he's giving a, a more of a, a way of action and a way of, of meditation practice. Like it culminates in, in Dhyana Yoga in chapter 6. And then chapters 7 through 12 specifically are talking about um, directly about a devotional service to Krishna, culminating in chapter 12. And when Krishna reaches chapter 14, he says, there is no knowledge that I have given you yet 
that's more important than this knowledge. Krishna says at the beginning of chapter 14, which is the modes of nature. Because if we understand how the modes work, and we understand the symptoms of the mode, and the process of being free from them, then we can, we can attain to the state of devotional service. Like there's a famous verse, Brahma Bhutta Prasanatma, Nasochati Nakamsati, Sama Sarveshu Bhuteshu, Man Bhaktim Labate Param. From this state of goodness, we can attain the state of Brahman and devotional service. And so I'd like to kind of take us on a little journey through the mode of goodness because we're. Uh, familiar with, with the modes, but focusing on the mode of goodness, because this, this particular verse is about the mode of goodness. We'll see uh, what Krishna is saying about the mode of goodness in the 14th chapter, and then we'll also focus on how Prabhupada uh, shows the mode of goodness as a springboard to transcendental life. It's said to keep our friends closer, but our enemies close. Close, but our enemies closer. Our friends close, but our enemies closer. So the modes are our enemies because we're, we're controlled by them. We're, we're completely um, entrapped by these modes of nature. And it's very, very difficult to overcome. But Krishna emphasizes through devotional service, through spiritual practice, we can overcome it. And that's why Prabhupada... That's why he gave us these practices that are in the mode of goodness. Rising early in the morning, taking bathing, cleaning ourselves, keeping a clean environment, and the devotional practices. It's extremely, extremely important to note what these practices are for. Because especially in, like, like for instance, uh, Jesus was, a, was a, a pure lover of his father. And that's how he acted and behaved. But what happens through the process of degradation and the modes of nature is we take that as, which is sacred. Religion means to connect. It means, to, how do I form my love for God? The same meaning of yoga. But we take that which is sacred and we take it as simply a ritual. That's the danger. That, that's the uh, status quo of so many religions in the world. We can see. Like, I do rituals, like ritualistic Hinduism is the same way. We do rituals, but the rituals in themselves are meant to purify our heart. See, that the practices that we're given are meant to purify our own heart. That's what they're for. So if we haven't attained to the status of goodness and transcendental consciousness, then all of our practices are considered to be in vain. Because that's what they're for. They're not there for rituals. Rupa Goswami says, we don't practice for the sake of practicing. We don't practice for the sake of prestige. I do more rituals than you. I'm more ritualistic than you. We do it for the sake of purifying our own consciousness. That's, that's, what, the, that's what sadhana bhakti means. It means practices given to us so we can purify our own heart. And when we purify our own heart, we can attain the level of bhakti. We can start feeling love for Krishna. That's the purpose of them. Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati, Swami Maharaj, he says, one should not pry into the frailties of others. 
Look within and amend thyself. Therefore, the practices given for spiritual life are meant to heal our own soul, rectify our own consciousness. They're meant to purify us. That's what they're for. That's why we do the rituals. Otherwise, they're empty. And we're just becoming another ritualistic, fanatic society. That's not what we're here for. So Rupa Goswami says, one shouldn't practice just for the sake of practicing, but one also should not give them up. You see the balance? One should embrace them for one's own purification. Like Prabhupada, he, he, he gave a standard. He wanted us to follow a standard. He wanted it for our own good and our own welfare. So understanding how we become free from the modes of nature is extremely important. Krishna gives it the highest importance. I like to uh, read what Krishna says at the beginning of the 14th chapter. And then some key verses on the mode of goodness. The Supreme Personality of God had said, Again, I shall declare to you this supreme wisdom, the best of all knowledge, knowing which all the sages have attained the supreme perfection. By becoming fixed in this knowledge, one can attain to the transcendental nature like my own. Thus established, one is not born at the time of creation or disturbed at the time of dissolution. So this birth that's happening here, that doesn't have to take place anymore. By understanding how these moods work, understanding how we become free from them. It's so important. And so, this is the first one I'd like to read. It's from it's verse 6. Krishna says, O sinless one, the mode of goodness being purer than the others is illuminating, and it frees one from all sinful reactions. Those situated in that mode become conditioned by a sense of happiness and knowledge. So again, Prabhupada here is discussing how the mode of goodness is also binding. So he says the living entities conditioned by material nature are of various types. One is happy, another is very active, and another is helpless. All these types of psychological manifestations are causes of the entity's conditioned status in nature. How they are differently conditioned is explained in this section of Bhagavad Gita. The mode of goodness is first considered. The effect of developing the mode of goodness in this material world is that one becomes wiser than those otherwise conditioned. A man in the mode of goodness is not so much affected by material miseries, and he has a sense of advancement in material knowledge. The representative type is the brahmana, who is supposed to be situated in the mode of goodness. This sense of happiness is due to understanding that in the mode of goodness, one is more or less free from sinful reactions. Actually, in the Vedic literature, it is said that the mode of goodness means greater knowledge and a greater sense of happiness. The difficulty here is that when a living entity is situated in the mode of goodness, he becomes conditioned to feel that he has advanced in knowledge and is better than others. In this way, he becomes conditioned. The best examples are the scientist and the philosopher. Each is very proud of his knowledge, and because they generally improve their living conditions, they feel a sort of material happiness. Okay, so, so there Prabhupada is explaining how goodness is also binding. Here's another verse from 1318. He is the source of light in all luminous objects. He is beyond the darkness of matter. He is unmanifested. He is knowledge. He is the object of knowledge, and he is the goal of knowledge, and he is situated in everyone's heart. So this luminous nature comes from Krishna. 
who represents the mode of goodness as Vishnu. Vishnu is controls the mode of goodness. Here's from 14.11. The manifestations of the mode of goodness can be experienced when all the gates of the body are illuminated by knowledge. So those things coming in and being uh, perceived by the senses, and those senses that are active, they're all um, conducting in a way that's of goodness. Because if we think about the body, there's different gates. So when things that are coming into the body are of goodness, and they also the active senses are also in goodness. Everything is illuminated by this light of goodness. This is the from 15.6. And Krishna is talking about his supreme abode. The supreme abode of mind is not illuminated by the sun or moon, nor by fire or electricity. Those who reach it never return to this material world. So he talks about the supreme light of the spiritual world. So this is from 14.17. From the mode of goodness develops real... From the mode of goodness, real knowledge develops. From the mode of passion, greed develops. And from the mode of ignorance develops foolishness, madness, and illusion. So we have the, we have the opportunity in the mode of goodness to hear, like Papa was saying, a cool head. It takes warm legs and a cool head to understand spiritual life. So it's, it's very necessary because otherwise we can't stop and absorb knowledge. So from 1419... Seeing the modes and above the modes here. When one properly sees that in all activities, no other performer is at work than these modes of nature, and he knows the Supreme Lord who is transcendental to all these modes, he attains my spiritual nature. So he sees that only the modes are active, and he sees that the Lord is beyond those modes here. So in 1420, this is when Krishna describes how to be free from the modes. He says, when the embodied being is able to transcend these three modes associated with the material body, what happens when we're free from these modes? He can become free from birth, death, old age, and their distresses, and then can enjoy nectar even in this life. Like we were were talking about how Krishna said, be happy with this yagya sacrifice. Even in this life, be happy. And at the end, you come back to me. So this is from 18, Bhagavad Gita 18.9. So now, Krishna, this is another summary of Bhagavad Gita. Now Prabhupada is really going to focus how the mode of goodness is a thin veil, is very close to transcendental consciousness. Almost every one of these verses that Krishna speaks on mode of goodness, Prabhupada just eases right into transcendental consciousness. And we'll see how Prabhupada does that. Bless you. O Arjuna, when one performs his prescribed duty only because it ought to be done and renounces all material association, all attachment to the fruit, his renunciation is said to be in the mode of goodness. So Srila Prabhupada says, prescribed duties must be performed with this mentality. One should act without attachment for the result. He should be disassociated from the modes of work. A man working in Krishna consciousness in a factory does not associate himself with the work of the factory nor with the workers of the factory. He simply works for Krishna. And when he gives up the result, when he gives up the result for Krishna, he is acting transcendentally. So 
So the second verse from chapter 18 is text 10. So Krishna says, The intelligent renouncer situated in the mode of goodness, neither hateful of inauspicious work, nor attached to auspicious work, has no doubts about work. So he's seen that there's, mo- there's work going on in the modes of ignorance. He's seen there's work going on in the mode of passion. And he's seen there's work going on in the mode of goodness. He's not particularly attached to any of them. So and then, then, then Prabhupada says um, this. He says, A person in Krishna consciousness or in the mode of goodness does not hate anyone or anything which troubles his body. He does work in the proper place and at the proper time without fearing the troublesome effects of his duty. Such a person situated and transcendent should be understood to be most intelligent and beyond all doubts in his activities. So you see how Prabhupada is saying, in Krishna consciousness, offering things to Krishna. So Krishna isn't saying this in the verse, but Prabhupada is is directly showing that mode of goodness is most conducive for for Krishna consciousness. Of course, we can use, um, we see that mode of passion can be used for Krishna. Arjuna was in the mode of passion. The fight for Krishna, right? And uh, Madhavendra Puri, he would dream about Krishna. Right? Krishna would appear to him in dreams, so uh, it was transcendental sleep. So in 1820, Krishna says, That knowledge by which one sees undivided spiritual nature, one undivided spiritual nature, is seen in all living entities, Though they are divided into innumerable forms, you should understand to be in the mode of goodness. Prabhupada says, A person who sees one spirit soul in every living being, whether a demigod, human being, animal, bird, beast, aquatic, or plant, possesses knowledge in the mode of goodness. In all living entities, one spirit soul is there, although they have different bodies in terms of their previous work. As described in the seventh chapter, the manifestation of a living force in every body is due to the superior nature of the Supreme Lord. Thus, to see that one superior nature, that living force, is in every body is to see in the mode of goodness. That living energy is imperishable, although the bodies are perishable. Differences are perceived in terms of the body, because there are many forms of material existence and conditional life. The living force appears to be divided. Such impersonal knowledge is an aspect of self-realization. So seeing God in everyone. And uh, Prabhupada treated um, everyone like that. We were just uh, hearing a story about how Prabhupada saved a tree in Juhu. How uh, The government told them they had to remove the tree to get building permits. And Prabhupada told them no. And he said, go tell the government that killing trees is against our religion. And so they, they, did, they did that, and to this day, that tree is still there in Mayapur. Prabhupada had that vision. He had compassion for everyone. So in 1823, Krishna says, That action which is regulated and which is performed without attachment, without love or hatred, and without desire for fruit of results, is said to be in the mode of goodness. Srila Prabhupada says, Regulated occupational duties, as prescribed in the scriptures in terms of the different orders and divisions of society, performed without attachment or proprietary rights, and therefore without any love or hatred, and performed in Krishna consciousness for the satisfaction of the Supreme, without self-satisfaction or self-gratification, are called actions in the mode of goodness. So when he speaks about love in this verse, 
he means uh, attached for the sake of oneself. You see? Like we say, like we love, like I love my job, and therefore I'm attached to my job. So that, that's what he means. Performed in Krishna consciousness for the satisfaction of the Supreme. So then moving on to 1826, Krishna says, One who performs his duty without association with the modes of material nature, without false ego, with great determination and enthusiasm, and without wavering in success or failure, is said to be a worker in the mode of goodness. Prabhupada says, A person in Krishna consciousness is always transcendental to the material modes of nature. He has no expectation for the result of the work entrusted to him, because he is above false pride, false ego and pride. Still, he is always enthusiastic till the completion of such work. He does not worry about the distress undertaken. He is always enthusiastic. He does not care for success or failure. He is equal in both distress and happiness. Such a worker is situated in the mode of goodness. In text 30, Krishna says, O son of Prita, that understanding by which one knows what ought to be done and what ought not to be done, what is to be feared and what is not to be feared, what is binding and what is liberating is in the mode of goodness. Prabhupada's purport, performing actions in terms of the directions of the scriptures is called pravritti, or executing actions that deserve to be performed. And actions which are not so directed are not to be performed. One who does not know the scriptural directions becomes entangled in the actions and reactions of work. Understanding which discriminates by intelligence is situated in the mode of goodness. Okay, so we're running a little short on time. And hopefully this can give us some inspiration to want to understand the modes of nature more and study these, these texts. But this particular uh, section of the end of Bhagavad Gita, which we're getting to soon in our class, um, is where goodness takes us. And we quoted this verse previously. One who is thus transcendentally situated at once realizes the Supreme Brahman and becomes fully joyful. He never laments or desires to have anything. He is equally disposed towards every living entity. In that state, he attains pure devotional service unto me. One can understand me as I am, as a Supreme Personality of Godhead, only by devotional service. And when one is in full consciousness of me by such devotion, he can enter into the kingdom of God. Though engaged in all kinds of activities, my pure devotee, under my protection, reaches the eternal and imperishable abode by my grace. So externally, it can look like a devotee is doing so many things. Just like Prabhupada said, he can look just like the materialist in doing his daily activities. Like the materialist takes a bath, we take a bath. Materialist eats, we eat. Materialist goes to work, we go to work. Like that. But the consciousness is different. The heart is different. The heart is transformed. Our reason is different. Our purpose is different. We're doing it with vision of service, the eyes of service, to please Krishna, to please God. So though engaged in all kinds of activities, 
My pure devotee under my protection reaches the eternal and imperishable abode by my grace. So Krishna says, and all the activities just depend upon me and work always under my protection. And such devotional service, be fully conscious of me. If you become conscious of me, you will pass over all the obstacles of conditional life by my grace. If, however, you do not work in such consciousness but act through false ego, not hearing me, you will be lost. Machita Sarvadurgani, Maprasada Tarishyasi, Atachet Thamahankaran, Nasushyasi, Vinankshyasi. That's what Rupa Goswami said. The central theme of Krishna consciousness is to always remember Krishna and never forget Krishna. Because when we're conscious of Krishna, Krishna's always, his body is always situated in pure goodness. Krishna is always the Shuddha qualities. So when we, when we connect our consciousness, not just uh, rituals, but we actually connect our consciousness to Krishna, we become purified, we become red hot, we become bright, we take on the qualities of God by really being conscious of Krishna. And we're conscious of Krishna when we hear him. Krishna's saying, not hearing me, you will be lost. But when we hear him, then, just through that sound vibration of hearing his words, we directly touch Krishna. We touch Krishna through his words when we hear. And that way, we can transcend the modes of nature. But otherwise, it's impossible. Krishna says, without devotional service, it's impossible. Because otherwise, we're just bouncing through the different modes. Like Krishna is saying, the modes are fighting for supremacy, and we're just fighting to, to enjoy the world. And we're going from here to here. We're going from the lower planets to the middle planets to the higher planets. And we're just going through different bodies of life. And because we're misbehaving, because we're acting in ignorance, and we're taking animal bodies. Because you can see how these beings who are not controlled in ignorance, and said in Bhagavad Gita, when one dies in ignorance, he takes animal body. He goes to the lower planets and takes an animal body. But Krishna gives a solution is by cultivating and understanding these modes of nature, by cultivating the mode of goodness, and by then engaging in Krishna consciousness and service to me, you can overcome these modes of nature. You can attain transcendental qualities like my own. And ultimately you can come to me. You can pass over all these obstacles by my grace, Krishna says. So, thank you all for your patience. And tolerance. And Krishna also says to tolerate, so thank you for tolerating. And uh, I hope you all have a wonderful day. We're going to be going on Harinam soon, and everybody's welcome to join us. So, Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Oh, sure. <laughs> Your question, man. Uh, yeah, the lot of goodness is tricky, uh, because it's a springboard of transcendence, yeah. but it's also a trap. So, um, I don't know, that, that, and Prabhupada addresses that, you read it, in 14.6. The difficulty here is that one is in the mode of goodness, he thinks he's better than everybody, because he's got, he's got more knowledge. So how to uh, not fall in that trap? 
we have to we have to be sure that we're not doing things based on trying to maintain a reputation. Like sometimes, sometimes it can it can seem like, you know, if I if I act in this particular way, I'm going to be criticized and be condemned. I'm going to be I'm looked down on. Um, but we have to do the duty to serve Krishna. Like Arjuna was saying, Arjuna was saying, I should just go to the forest, right? It doesn't make any sense to fight this battle. Um, but Krishna was then convincing him that actually, like, in this particular case, if you have to get in the mode of passion, pure passion, pure, yeah, you have to get in the mode of pure passion for me. Yeah. Um, and you can't go to the forest and pretend like you're a sage. You can't do that. So that was that was one powerful example right there in Bhagavad Gita of the difference between Krishna consciousness and and our own ideas about what we should do. Because all the all the arguments Arjuna was giving were giving were very good arguments. God, you know, there's gonna be the degradation in society, you know, we're gonna we're not even gonna be able to enjoy because why would we do this to our elders, elder members of our family? Um, so I think I think the key is is to knowing um, the mood of the guru, because if we know the mood and the heart of the guru, then we we can act in such a way to make a nice offering to the guru. Because if we just base it on our ideas of of what is good, then we may not be we not, may not be acting in such a way that's pleasing. Um, like the example of that, the person who lied, who wouldn't ever tell a lie, yeah. and uh, the murderers were coming. He says, "Oh, well, he's right there. <laughs> Go ahead." And, you know, but a higher principle was to say, "I don't know where he is," <laughs> so that this innocent man wasn't killed. So, yeah, that connection of the group. That's been probably mentioned that in the first part too. In all activities, and for the results. And the prophet says, uh, the first word, that uh, one may say that uh, Arjuna was directly getting it from Krishna, but what do you do when you don't see Krishna? And then the prophet says, if you follow the orders of Krishna, as contained in this book, through with the guidance of the spiritual master, that's the, the key. Yeah. The external representative of Krishna. Because it's tricky, and that's why we need a guru. Yeah, we need. It's not always so easy. What should I do? Yeah, it's tricky. And we're not around to twist it around our own desires. Uh, uh, yes. So, but a change in a, a thought about oh, I'm going to go to work today. I'm going to do my best so that I can be recognized as competent and effective in my job. Um, a change to kind of right connected to Krishna consciousness. Be I'm going to go to work. I'm going to be. I'm going to. Um, you know, being an instrument for Krishna. I mean, how what what would be a replacement thought to connect myself to Krishna consciousness? Well, Rupa Goswami he gives the example of a paramour. Have you heard this? I'm not sure. Yeah, so he, he's saying that if somebody is um, like in love with somebody else other than your spouse, then when they're around the house, they're doing they're doing the work even nicer. Like they're 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 trying to cover up um, this connection to the paramour. So they're dressing nicely, they're, they're, they're taking care of the house, they're cooking nicely, 
or their spouse, but really in their mind they're thinking about their their lover outside. So in the same way, Rupa Goswami, because Rupa Goswami is actually a gopi, and he has this uh, love for Krishna like that, he's saying that we, we do our, our duties in this world first class. Like we do everything very, very nice. Like oftentimes devotees become like the top of their field. Like Bhaktivinoda Thakur, the high court judge, and then he was recognized. But, he, but in his heart, in his mind and heart, he was doing it all as an offering to Krishna. He was thinking about his lover, Krishna. So he wasn't doing it for his own personal prestige or fame or adoration. He was simply thinking, like, I'm doing my duty for Guru and Krishna. I'm doing my duty to, to my family, who are my uh, dependents. Who actually, when, when, when you're a parent, you become the guru of the children. So he's, he's a, the, the Grihasta is thinking like that. Like, I need to uh, do my duties as a Grihasta, um, and I'll do the best I can, but really, my life is an offering to Krishna. And part of that is service to my family. Um, be considered competent and effective, you know, as my top priority to my to the staff and the community. I mean, that's good, but like I really want to impress Krishna. I want to do the best that I can for. You're a representative of Krishna. Krishna. You're representing Krishna in the world. So Krishna is so people see how you how you act, like how responsible you are, how much attention you put into your work, and and, and they respect that. Um, your kindness, that they respect that. And then that, because you are uh, the face of Krishna consciousness in your own uh, social environment, then you can see yourself as a representative of Krishna, Prabhupada. Yeah. Yes. I just wanted to say one thing about the, the whole um, ritualistic thing. The word ritual is actually within the word spiritual. So it's, it is said that if you take if you take away the spirit of love, the spirit of gratitude, the spirit of devotion, then it just simply becomes empty ritual. Uh-huh. Uh, very good. Yeah. 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 Because what's the point? Like, you know, someone, you know, say say that somebody comes and sees us and we're we're just like you know waving things. And like, why are you doing that? Like, I don't know. It's, I just. I was told to do it. I do. I mean, it's, it's duty. Duty is good. Duty and obedience are are, are, are a prerequisite for love. But but ultimately, we need to to do it in the right consciousness and realize it's for purifying ourselves. Because in a lot of religions, it becomes like, who's the biggest ritualist? Like I do more rituals, and I and I I, I toe the line more than everybody else. Therefore, I'm. I'm the most advanced spiritualist. But actually, that's not the, that's not to, that's actually going to pur, purify us, you see? It doesn't have anything to do with advancement. Now, of course, um, so there's a balance here, because Prabhupada and the Acharya say, well, even if, especially since this is a preaching movement, this is Lord Chaitanya's movement, even if we attain high levels of Raghunuga Bhakti, we relish that Raghunuga, those feelings for Krishna in our heart, but externally, we engage just like a neophyte. We go, we, we chant our sixteen rounds. We go to Mangalarti. We we do the practices given by by our acharya. Externally, we do those things. Internally, we relish, because we're trying to teach others. 
and we're trying to set an example for them because we're trying to help others come up because we need these practices. Others need these practices. And if they don't see the leaders of the society doing these things, then they think, well, they must not be very important. So there will be some avadutes. We have like Guru Shakti's. And, uh, and, and we, we found out that actually, actually full power is actually in the Chaitanya Charitamrita. So anytime Guru Shakti says full power, it's actually quoting uh, Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita. Because Radharani is full power. And Krishna is the possessor of full power. Yeah. One more thing that I, I think that fear is a lousy motivator or trying to, you know, do something to avoid something for the purpose of, you know. So I think, you know, one of the things about understanding this idea of doing things not in a mood of, of, of ritual, you know, ritualism or whatever you want to call it, is the idea that if you're motivated by this love, this devotion, this this uh, this gratitude, then it's easier for you to take up this process and be and take up the process fully. So, for example, rising earlier, chanting your sixteen rounds, doing all these things out of you know really understanding the spirit behind it, being motivated by that, as opposed to I feel like being motivated by you know by. I gotta try and please this person. I'm doing it for this person. No, you're doing it for yourself. You're doing it to please Krishna. You're doing it to please, and ultimately understanding that, um, you know, this is a service and offering of love to Krishna. I think that's the greater motivator. So for me, it's just like that's that reminder to continue in my sadhana bhakti. You know, not so much because I'm trying to do this for some external reason as opposed to wanting to do it for Krishna, please Guru. And uh, that kind of thing. And one other thing I want to say was to uh, Michelle that I think when you when you're wanting to do something for Krishna, you're gonna automatically do the best. You're gonna do it first class. So automatically that recognition that you know all those things that one might be wanting to do things or perform at at the workplace for, all those things are included when we do it for Krishna. You know, first class. So it's not really something we have to. Attain it just becomes a byproduct of wanting to do the service, you know, at the highest, the highest uh, level for Krishna. Yeah. yeah. Another quality of motive goodness could be said to be be conscious, yeah. be consciousness. That Prabhupada, conscious before Krishna consciousness. So being conscious means motive goodness. Like if you're intoxicated, then you're not conscious. Um, and so, so yeah. So like when we're when we're conscious. Um, when we're Krishna conscious, um, we we naturally are going to be conscious. We're going to be conscious of everybody. It's just like we were reading about, like everybody is ultimately a devotee of Krishna. They're just covered by the modes of nature. But in terms of the first thing um, you said, Govinda Mahaprabhu. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's that's true, and, and that's really the only motivator that will stick over time. Yeah. Like we may we may be forced to do something. But oftentimes we see kids are forced to do things, and as soon as they get out of the house, it's not sustainable. They're they're, they're done with that. Yeah. Right? Right. So it's not sustainable. Um, so I think there's two reasons. One reason to do it is to do it um, of duty and love for, for Guru and Krishna, and the other reason is to do it uh, to help others, and and that's like setting the example for for others to help them um, attain to the state. Because because if we reach a state of st- steadiness in Krishna consciousness. Then uh, we've reached a platform that's much higher than people that are just coming in. Right. 
And so we want to help them come up to that platform. Because in the beginning, it's wavering. People in the beginning, they may, they may really jump in or they may go back and try to enjoy the material energy. But when we become more fixed on Krishna consciousness, then we have an opportunity to help others uh, through our practices. Okay, <laughs> <laughs>